This is Radio Influence. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill, and today is Tuesday, June the 12th of 2018. And I got to tell you, this month, this year is just flying by. And most of the time, I don't know what day it is because I stay so much on the go. I'm on a plane. I'm in a hotel room. I'm here. I'm there. This past Thursday and Friday, I was in New York. Thursday, I had another meeting with ABC about a potential show they want to use me for. Uh, I'm hopeful for that, but I live by the philosophy of I'll believe it when I see it. Then, of course, Friday, I hosted Law and Crime on the Law and Crime Network, lawandcrime.com. You got to check us out. We cover the biggest trials in the country like no one else does because we're the only 24-7 crime watch network in this country. Uh, so I was hosting that from 3 to 5, as I do every Friday. I actually got asked to start hosting not only on Fridays, but Thursdays as well. And, of course, I said yes to that. And I live by the philosophy of say yes and then figure things out later as you go along because that one time you say no is the one time that opportunity will never come again. So that's my philosophy and everything I do in this business. Say yes, figure the rest out. Later, So starting July 5th, I'll be hosting Law and Crime Thursdays 3 to 5 and then Fridays from 12 to 3 Eastern Time on the Law and Crime Network. I guess that really means I'll spend even more time in New York City. Uh, the plan right now is for for uh, me to get a Airbnb up in New York City for the entire month of July because I got to tell you that travel back and forth and some days... I do it where I fly up Friday morning and fly back Friday night. And after you've been up all day, usually at 5 in the morning to get to the airport, and you host live TV for a couple of hours, and you get back to the airport and you get back home at 1.30 in the morning, you're just dead dog tired. And the very next day, you don't want to do anything but sleep. But I don't have time to sleep all day. I'm on a mission to reach a lot of goals, so I need to be refreshed. So I guess this means if I'm going to be there Thursdays, and Fridays, I'll probably fly in either Wednesday night or early Thursday mornings. Uh, and then, of course, stay over until Friday afternoon after I come off the air. So there's a lot going on in the world, in the world of policing, as there always is. Um, this time, it's in a city we've talked about on this show before. The city of Chicago, there was a police shooting uh, where the individual died back on June the 6th. So this was about a week ago. Uh, a uh, 24-year-old Maurice Granton was shot and killed by Chicago police. Now, some articles, depending on the demographic and the political party that these, these articles were written for, uh, say protesters claim cops shot entrepreneur in the back and planted a gun. So that's the spin that this story is being told on that police shot this guy in the back as he was just running away because he was scared 
and then they planted a gun on him. Well, let me give you a little background of what happened, and then you decide if, A, there should be protests, and B, if this guy was an entrepreneur, and whether cops planted a gun on him. So Chicago police were, imagine this, called to a scene of individuals selling drugs. And I'll tell you how they were called to the scene here in a second. But it was the typical, what's known as corner boys. And if you ever watch the show The Wire on HBO, they talk about corner boys. These are guys that stand on the corner and sell drugs. So it was typical. You had three lookouts that pretended like they were just eating and just hanging around. You had one guy counting a wad of money, which is typical for corner boys because they're always checking their count throughout the day. You had one person who was holding the drugs, and then you had another person who was likely the head of that corner who doesn't touch the drugs or the money, but he oversees the operations of everyone else, the lookouts, the counter, the holder, So that's typical what you see in certain neighborhoods where drug narcotic drug activity is is high. That's what you see. It's called corner boys. So police were called to the scene about this drug transaction. Now, it wasn't a citizen that called the police there. Now, I don't know if you know about the city of Chicago, just like many major uh, cities especially where there is a high crime rate in certain areas. There's what you call these things that are called surveillance cameras. And many of those cameras are ran by what you call the police department. So the police were watching these individuals. I believe in the video, there were actually five, including uh, the guy that was shot by police. They were watching these individuals. They watched several drug transactions take place. So, of course, the they call it the Chicago PD's Strategic Decision Support Center. I guess that's who monitors these videos. They call, of course, dispatch. And what does dispatch do? They send police over there. Now, granted, everyone in the video was black. But this is not why police were sent over there. Because I assure you, there's tons of surveillance footage in the city of Chicago, where police were not dispatched just because black people happened to be in the surveillance footage. I'm just going to throw that out there. So police arrive, narcotics officers arrive, and guess what everyone starts doing? When people know they're breaking the law, and when people see police coming, they run. They don't stick around for the most part, at least in my experience, especially when I work narcotics, They don't stick around to say, oh, hey, Mr. Officer, how are you today? Can I buy you a donut? Can I buy you a Starbucks? It doesn't work that way. People usually run when they see the police if they're engaged in narcotics activity. So police get there in the 300 block of West 47th Street and they encounter uh, Granton. He immediately flees on foot and ignored the officer's commands to stop. Now, during this chase, Granton decides he wants to pull out a gun and the officers shot him during an armed encounter. Now, keyword being armed, the minute he pulled out the gun, he is therefore 
armed. Now, I told you before, I've been in this situation where I've been chasing someone who's had a gun and I've had my gun drawn on them. Now, let's be clear here. Now, the report given by police says there's evidence that the gun was fired. So that tells me he turned around, fired at police in some capacity if the gun was fired. But let's take that out of the equation here for just a second. Now, remember, I've talked about fleeing felon. A, a felony had to have occurred. Okay, there was drug transactions that police witnessed. That is a felony. Okay, so then he flees. He's committed a felony. Now he's fleeing. Okay, there's two steps to that. Then Remember, there has to be an imminent threat against officers or the public if the fleeing felon gets away. Now, said fleeing felon, Mr. Granton, pulls out a gun. So now you have the element of either the officers are in imminent danger or the public. Because let's be honest, when people have guns, their intention is to shoot someone. Whether you have a gun for home protection, your intention is to shoot someone if they come in your house. Typically, if you're a drug dealer, your intention is to shoot your rival, to shoot your competition, to shoot someone that may come steal your money, or it happens to shoot police. So you have these elements of this fleeing felon. He's armed. He's not complying to commands. He doesn't drop his gun. So he's shot. Now, here's what's important here. Police recovered his gun at the scene. They didn't find it where he originally was standing and he fled. They found it at the scene. So to say that it was planted, that would suggest that one of the officers went back, picked up the gun several blocks away after this foot chase went back to where he was shot and then planted the gun there. All the while, mind you, that these officers know that there's probably 500 cell phones watching them at that exact moment. Heck, there were 500 cell phones watching them when they showed up to the scene before he fled. So to say the gun was planted, think about that. You would have to say that either the officer had a gun on him that he just decided, well, I'm just going to drop it. Now, this is the uh, LAPD Rampart Division of 1996, right, where they were planting guns on suspects. Yeah, it happened 26 years, 22 years ago in L.A. with the Rampart Division. It happened. But back in 96, think about it. There weren't these cell phone cops recording everything. So to say this gun was planted really is not a rational logical statement because the officer would have had to have gone back to the scene where it all started, picked the gun up, dropped the gun off where they recovered the gun next to the body without anybody seeing it. So here's the problem with that. If that had happened, there would have been video already at CNN, MSNBC. There would have been video on Worldstar, Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, Who knows where the video would have been, but the video would have been out there of this cop 
planning this gun because there's no way that officers in this day and age can do their jobs without some cell phone cop recording everything. Now, here's another very important piece to this entire puzzle. The surveillance footage recorded prior to the officer-involved shooting showed Granton Granton holding a semi-automatic handgun out on the street. Now, let's take the police out of this for just a second. Now, let's say that Granton decides he wants to just play around, pull that trigger, and a three-year-old gets killed. Would there be the same protest? Would there be this talk about racism? Let's say a drug deal went bad and the guy that made the drug deal goes bad, starts running down the street, and Granton starts firing down the street and hits an 80-year-old grandmother. Would there be protest? Would there be these claims of racism and police brutality? Huh. I don't think there would be because... It would just be another day in the city of Chicago where it has 700 plus murders a year. But because police were doing their job, taking a felon off the street who was armed, who could have put anybody walking down that street in danger. It's racism. It's police brutality. It's it only happens in the black community. It's this white mob killing black males. But what about if Granton would have shot another black male? What if Granton would have been shot by another black male? We wouldn't have heard about it. It wouldn't be anything past the local 10 o'clock news in the city of Chicago. I assure you of that. But since officers had to respond to someone who was selling drugs, which is illegal... Hmm. Now it's racism. Now it's the police's fault. Now everyone's pointing the finger at police and not pointing the finger at Mr. Grandin, who was not only breaking the law by selling drugs, he broke the law by running from police and he was armed. And if I had to guess, if I had to guess, and I don't know this for sure because I haven't looked, but if I had to guess, He's in his mid-20s. He's 24 years old. He's seen on surveillance footage selling drugs. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that at 24 years old, he didn't just decide to wake up and say, Ooh, you know what? You know what I think would be cool? I think if I sold dope and I was armed, that would be something really cool for me to do. So I'm going to start doing that today at 24. And I say that to say this. He probably, more than likely already has a felony conviction, which now means he's a felon in possession of a weapon. But nobody's pointing the finger at Maurice Granton, who pulled a gun on police. Everyone's saying it's the police's fault. So this 24-year-old Maurice Granton, who was shot by police, here's a twist to this story. Now, just about a week before he was shot and killed by police, he was shot by a unknown suspect, an unknown black male. And during the time, he refused to cooperate with police after he was treated 
at a local hospital for a graze wound near his right eye. So if my math is right, a graze by his right eye means someone was probably aiming for his head, but he got really lucky that it only grazed his right eye. But yet again, you have a guy that's involved in the narcotics business. He gets shot a week before that doesn't scare him to say, you know what? I need to leave this narcotic stuff alone. That's like a person working at a gas station that's been robbed at gunpoint. They usually quit that job because they figure, you know what? My life is not worth this $5, $6, $7 an hour. And I got to tell you, most corner boys in the drug game don't make millions of dollars. So if I had been shot the week before because of what I'm involved with, I think I may take a different line of work. I think I might even go to McDonald's, Burger King, Foot Locker. I don't know. Somewhere where I'm not going to get shot by my competition. Because the last I checked, Burger King didn't do drive-bys at McDonald's because they were competition. But when you're in the drug game, you get shot at because you're competition. Or you've ticked someone off. Or you've moved in on their corner. That's how the game works. But this guy, Maurice, decides, nah, I'm still in the game. And then I'm going to be caught on surveillance footage selling dope. And then I'm going to run from police, the same police I refuse to give information to because you know how they say on the streets, dog, snitches get stitches. So I can't tell y'all nothing, dog, but I'm still going to get out here and sling this dope, which eventually gets me killed. But when I get killed, I'm going to blame you because you're just a white police officer taking flight against the black man. So out of curiosity, as I was talking, I did a simple Google search. I didn't use any of my PI tools. Simple Google search, Maurice Granton mugshot. And just as I suspected, he is a felon in the state of Illinois with a pretty lengthy arrest record. June 14th of 2016, March 10th of 2016, March 3rd of 2016, October of 2013, April of 2013, March of 2013, August 2012, November 2012. He's got charges for aiding and abetting uh, possession of a stolen vehicle. Hmm. That means he still steals stuff. He's got uh, gang convictions. He's got drug convictions. He's got theft convictions he's got okay improper traffic lane usage convictions okay that's minor that doesn't make him a felon but my point is this a guy who his family knows is doing wrong chances are they benefited from his drug dealing ways but now they're saying they said in a press conference they don't believe he was armed. It's not true. They shot him that many times uh, because they were mad that the sergeant sergeant that was chasing after him hurt his ankle. So they shot him just because they were mad because he hurt his ankle. Well, that's really one of the most ignorant things I've ever heard because I'm going to tell you, in police work, you get hurt and you get hurt bad and you get hurt quite often. 
but I can't think of any officer, including myself, that has ever pulled the trigger to shoot someone because I'm mad because I hurt my ankle that if it's not broke, it's probably just going to be sore for a day or two. And even if it is broke, heck, I get a few days off until it heals. So the family's making all of these excuses rather than saying, hey, our son, our uncle, our cousin, our dad was out doing wrong, but we don't want to accept that. We want to see the body cam footage and we want to sue the city of Chicago. And I'm sure they're going to want to uh, have the police commissioner resign from his position. They're going to want the officer arrested. They're going to want the officer fired that pulled the trigger. They're going to want all of this, but they're not going to say what could have prevented Maurice Granton from dying on June 6, 2018. And that's one simple thing. Don't be out breaking the law. The other part of that is when police approach, don't run. And the other part of that is if you do run, definitely don't pull out a gun on police officers that have guns that are trained to shoot. But not only that, they're trained to shoot, but their obligation is to protect the community. So when you pull out guns and you just start firing shots that could hit anybody, that could hit a family member or your fellow corner boys or a three-year-old walking down the street or the 80-year-old grandmother, then you're looking at a case of first-degree murder. Hmm. It's the police's job to stop that. It is not their job to go tell Maurice Granton, hey, you really shouldn't sell drugs. You should be an outstanding member of the community. You should get a legal job. You should go to church on Sundays and read the word. That's not the job of police. That is the job of his parents that are now pointing the finger at police. But police did not fail here. His parents failed here because they allowed him to be in that lifestyle well before he was 24 years old. They allowed him to be in that lifestyle since he was a juvenile. They allowed him to be in that lifestyle since he started getting arrested way back in 2012, some six years ago. So if my math is right, when he was 17 years old, he's already building a criminal record. He's 24, do the math, 17. He's already building a criminal record that his family knew about. His family misguided him. His family caused him to run from police while armed because they never gotten that butt and told him this is not the lifestyle you need to be doing. All right, I want to switch gears here because we're almost out of time and talk about a police story that you won't hear in the mainstream media because it definitely doesn't fit the narrative. And I always try to highlight the officer of the week, somebody that goes goes above and beyond the call of duty while serving the community. So there was a Charlotte, North Carolina police officer, Officer Andrew Spotswood. Uh, he recently encountered an elderly uh, man that was a veteran. Uh, his wallet was stolen by a woman. Uh, so, of course, he lost his money, his debit card, his ID, 
and his bus pass, which basically left him immobile. So Officer Andrew Spotswood saw this, and he actually uh, took the guy to the DMV for a new ID. He didn't have the $13, of course, for the replacement fee because his wallet was stolen. So the officer went in his wallet. Luckily, the clerk at the DMV said, no, we're going to go ahead and waive that fee. So he took him. He get the uh, he got the new ID. He took him to the bank to get a new debit card. And then he got him a new bus pass. But of course, he still had no money. So the last thing that this officer did was he took the man who's a veteran to get a meal on the officer. Uh, this officer was actually recognized by Charlotte Police Department for uh, the Acts of Excellence Award. And I couldn't agree more. That's very deserving of that officer. And Spotswood, Officer Spotswood, said that he was really touched by the man's predicament because he, too, is also a veteran. But I think he would have done that whether he was a veteran or not. I think this officer just has compassion, just like Many police officers have compassion for the people they serve. They just get a bad rap in the mainstream media. And I assure you, you won't see that story on CNN or on any mainstream media outlet because, again, it doesn't fit the narrative. But I want to send a special shout out and a special thank you to Officer Andrew Spotswood of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. That was an awesome job, sir. Way to go above and beyond. All right, with that said, it's time for the sad part of the show, uh, my 10-7 segment. And this one hits really, really, really close to home. For those that don't know, I graduated high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, way back in 19... (laughs) Something in the 19s. But I graduated high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Anyone that knows me knows I always wanted to be a police officer and Uh, Milwaukee police had this program called the police aid program. And it was for people that wanted to be police that weren't 21 yet. So you couldn't be sworn, but you got a chance to wear the uniform, learn the ins and outs of the jobs. I actually got a chance to do a few undercover buys for alcohol way back when. So it was a pretty cool program for people that are interested in becoming a police officer. And the officer I want to recognize tonight in my 10, seven segment is Officer Charles G. Irvine, Jr. of the Milwaukee Police Department, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. His end of watch was Tuesday, June 7, 2018. Police Officer Charles Charles Irvine was killed in a single vehicle crash while pursuing another vehicle. His patrol car left the road and collided with a support wall at an overpass at the intersection of West Silver Spring Drive and North 76th Street. Officer Irvine suffered fatal injuries in the crash. His partner was transported to a local hospital with serious injuries. Officer Irvine had served with the Milwaukee Police Department as a sworn officer for two years and was assigned to the 4th District. He had previously served with the department as a police aide for two years. He was 23 years old. His tour of duty was two years with the Milwaukee police department and that just goes to show that there's nothing routine in policing especially when you're engaged in these high speed pursuits that I've been in so many times I lost count and then I look back and I think 
how I easily could have been Officer Charles G. Irvine. I want to thank him for his service. I want to thank him for being brave enough to pay the ultimate sacrifice in pursuit of protecting and serving the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I want to thank you for listening as always, and I will see you right here next week, same time, same place, nowhere else but RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. Miss America pageant comes out and eliminates the swimsuit uh, and the evening wear. Uh, and there's no reason for me to watch it anymore. I mean, swimsuits was probably the only reason why I was watching it. And I'll watch a, I'll watch a pageant. I don't like the the premise of the whole thing. And now they're not even calling them pageants; they're calling them competitions. Uh, I guess I don't know if there's a big difference, but now they're saying that the women are going to be all shapes and sizes. Uh, why have it? Why have it? I mean, you know. I think people have put their kids in pageants early, and I'm not sure that's good for them later on, because you got to be full of yourself. You're going to be up there in front of everybody in a bathing suit and your hair done, and you're eight years old, and I, I don't know if that's good for kids, but um, can you picture like Miss America being like plain Jane? I mean, I thought everything as far as pageantry, even competitions, um, what's going to come down to looks? If you're not, if it doesn't come down to looks, what's it come down to? This personality. Uh, so, I don't know if that's going to work well. I, I, I really don't. You can find Ian Beckles' flavor in your ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.